Well, you probably know this image a little bit too, uh, too familiar with it now. Uh, let me, before I explain this image, let me have a word of prayer with you. Oh God in heaven, take my words and speak to them. Take, take our minds and think to them. Take our will and set them on fire for love of your son in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, it's, we've had a full service already. Uh, again, just uh, my gratitude to David, uh, to Catherine for your very wise and apt words. Uh, I look forward to hearing Albert's reflections on this present crisis. I just want to share briefly some thoughts on the day we celebrate today, that being Pentecost. Now, uh, this is an image of my bathroom project, which I've uh, bugged you guys with, and my weekly emails. You can see there's something very wrong about this picture. There's a hole where the floor should be, and through that hole, you can see another hole, which is actually uh, the, the window uh, of where the bathroom is. So you can actually stand on the first floor and throw, if you had a good enough aim, throw a ball through the floor, out the second floor window, and I hit the parishion, hit those little kids uh, playing soccer in the street through the door. So I fell through the roof of the ceiling of the, uh, of the, of the bathroom, and when I did, I groaned, and I shared some of these thoughts with you all on on, I guess it was Thursday. I groaned because it hurt. I didn't fall all the way through. And by the way, this has already been prepared. There is no such hole and no blue tarp uh, over my window. Everything is nice and patched. Uh, but when I fell through, I groaned. Uh, I groaned because it hurt. And I groaned because I realized just how over my head I was as I looked at not only the disaster of this, what this project was at its current state, but also the now added mess of plaster, drywall, etc., scattered all over the first floor. Groaning. We are in a sermon series entitled Hungry. And we're looking at different hungers or longings we have for the Christian faith. And one of those hungers is we hunger for help in times of crisis, a hunger uh, when we need help, when we, over our, when we are over our head, and when we are over our head, we groan. I hope that all made sense. Over your head, when you're groaning, we need help. That's the hunger we're going to look at today, and we're going to look at how uh, our Christian faith satisfies those hungers. Ready? So am I. Let's jump right in. Here is our text. We're hungry for our help. Our text is in front of us out of Romans chapter 8. And I broke this for our, our this morning, I broke this into three groans. First, we see a groan of creation. Second, we see a groaning of the Christian in verse 23. Third and final, we see the groaning of the Spirit in verse 26. As we look at the first two, we will see our need for help, why we groan. And as we look at the last, the groaning spirit, we'll see how the spirit helps us when we do. So let's look at the first point, the groaning of creation. And here is, again, our text. And we're told that the whole creation together groans. That word together is important because it means creation in its entirety. Men, women, boys, girls, uh, Dogs, cats, planets, stars, rocks, trees, all of God's creation groans. Here is a picture from one of our early trips to northern Kenya. We are in a small, near a small town called Marsabit. Northern Kenya is 
very arid, very dry, but when we were there, we were in an especially dry time, especially uh, lengthy drought. And it was almost as if you could hear the ground calling out for water. I don't know if you've ever had that experience as we've gone through droughts. You can almost hear the trees begging for water. And that certainly was the case in, uh, in this uh, image. God's Grandeur by Gerard Manley Hopkins. I highlight it here only because of the, uh, his description of the bent world. Uh, creation is bent, and because creation is bent, it groans. Drought displays the bentness or the crookedness of the world. But I know I am not alone in feeling that these past few weeks, the past few months and certainly the past few weeks, we have seen a great many displays of the crookedness of our world, one crisis after another. In addition to the loss caused by the coronavirus, we are confronted by very troubling images of apparent brutality committed by those whose job it is to protect and serve. Now we are confronted by what seems to be just a frightening unraveling of society with three nights of rioting. Creation groans. It is bent. Drought reveals it. The crookedness of our world, pandemics, uh, racism, societal ills reveal the crookedness of our bent world. The whole creation is groaning together. And sometimes this metaphorical language does not seem so metaphorical. And a good and natural response to the sorrows of our world is to groan. How should we respond to pandemics, racisms, riots? We may do much more, but we certainly do no, do no less than groan. The biblical word or theological word is we lament. We join in the lament of creation. We groan. And that is our first response. Creation groans. Creation groans, but the groans will not last forever. The groans are groans of expectation. And we will see that not only does creation groan, but you and I groan in expectation as well. So we move from the groaning of creation to the groaning Christian, which is found in verse 23. Not only creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly. In addition to the general groaning that we all suffer just by being part of this creation, there is a specific Christian groaning that you and I have something very particular to our faith that causes us to groan. And like creation, we groan because we wait. Creation groans uh, as in child, the, the pains of childbirth, and we groan as well in anticipation. What do we groan in anticipation of? Our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Now, if you've been a member or participating in our services, that may sound familiar, especially the first one, adoption as sons. Haven't we been adopted? If you were here several weeks ago, we explored a passage immediately preceding this one in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. And in that passage, we are told that we have received the spirit of adoption. And by the spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, Father. Are we not already adopted? Yes. Are we not already redeemed? 
although not present in the passage we're looking at, the fact that you and I are redeemed, as Catherine has shared, through the blood of Christ is a very common biblical theme. And here is just one passage of many. We have redemption through his blood. So here is the point. Though we are adopted, redeemed, already there is a richer, fuller child-father relationship to come, a more complete redemption to come. Here is the question that you may have heard posed to you. Are you saved? Uh, redemption and adoption are just a further expansion of that simple question. Are you saved? Are you redeemed? Are you adopted? And that question has both a past present and future answer. Are you saved, adopted, redeemed? Yes, I was saved when Jesus died on the cross for me. Yes, I am being saved, adopted, redeemed through the present ministry of his spirit. And yes, I will be saved, adopted, redeemed when he returns. And because we wait for the coming of our full redemption, we groan inwardly. As we wait, what we only experience now in part, our adoption, our redemption, or in short, we await the fullness of our salvation. Christians groan in expectation. Third and final. The groaning Christian, the groaning creation, and now the groaning spirit. Here is our text. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This word, likewise, connects this, this sentence with the previous sentence. Both are concerned with the help that we have, and this passage gives us two things that help you when you groan. The first is identified in verse 24. One help that we have is hope. Hope helps us. We have the certain hope of our Christian faith that, yes, we will one day be adopted fully as God's children, our bodies fully redeemed. Hope is great, but hope is not the subject that I want to turn us to. I want to turn us to the help that we have identified in verses 26 and 27, not our future hope for our full salvation, but the present ministry of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us. How does the Holy Spirit help us? How does the groaning Spirit, the groaning Spirit helps us by praying for us? Back to our passage, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. To intercede for another is simply to pray on that for another on their behalf. We have an intercessory prayer team. It's a great team. It's led by a faithful parishioner, some 20 to 30 souls. Many of uh, these uh, members fast one day a week. Intercessions and prayer concerns will come to the leader and those will be distributed. The, uh, we are an intercessory. We pray for others. The spirit intercedes. That means he is praying for you. The next question we may ask is, great, what does the Spirit pray for us? We may have heard people say, I'm going to pray for you. Great, what are you going to pray for me about? What does the Spirit pray for us? There is a problem with our great intercessory prayer team, and that problem is that 
We just don't know all the details. We do not know how we ought to pray. So I will receive a name, and with that name, I will receive a concern. But I don't know anything else other than that concern, maybe a sickness, maybe a sadness. Our prayers are limited by our lack of knowledge. Let me offer a thought exercise. What if I received a prayer request from somebody I really wanted to get married to, Bob, making up a name. And I just happen to know that Bob is a really, really bad guy. Uh, we just don't know about Bob, or maybe we, don't, we can't pray with confidence because we don't know anything about the man. Our prayers are limited by our knowledge, not so with the Spirit. The Spirit prays according to the will of God. In other words, what would you pray? How would you intercede for someone if you knew everything that God knew about the situation that that person was in? That's how the Spirit prays for you. Now, you know that we've been praying for a permanent home for about five years, seriously praying, saving. That prayer has come unanswered, remains unanswered. Well, now after the building we rent required a major and costly repair, now after three additional months of not being able to use our building because of the quarantine restrictions, I now see some of the benefits of not owning a building. Now, I'm not suggesting that this was God's will and somehow that he planned this in the pandemic. And No, no, no. I am only suggesting that we do not know how to pray because we simply do not know the whole story. And because we don't know the story, we don't know how to pray. But that is not the case of the Spirit of God. He is not limited as we are. How does the Spirit pray for us? He prays for us wisely according to the will of God. Or, sorry, what does he pray for us? Now, secondly, how does the Spirit pray for us? The Spirit prays for us emphatically, or empathetically, sorry, empathetically. The Spirit intercedes with us with groaning too deep for words. The Spirit articulates his prayers for you and me as groans. Now, that is significant, having stated that the whole creation groans, that you and I groans, groan. The author tells us now that the Holy Spirit himself groans, with, expresses his prayers with groans too deep for words. Now, as we saw, creation groans out of expectation and imperfection, a longing for what it will one day be. The same is true for you and me. Our imperfections cause us to groan. There are no imperfections in the triune God. Why does the Spirit groan? He is not incomplete. He is not longing or waiting. The Holy Spirit groans because he identifies with your groans, with our groans. He groans with us. We groan together. To groan together, there it is in Greek, sustanazo. As I looked at this word and studied it this weekend, it reminded me of another English word. I have yet to confirm this. This may only be true in the world of Glade, but I noticed a, a connection between the Greek word sustanazo and the English word sustain. To, groove, to groan together is to, is to sustain. And whether they are connected in their origin, they are certainly connected in their meaning. 
To grieve together is to groan together is to sustain. The Holy Spirit identifies with our, sorry for the typo, just caused that, with our groans, with the pain of the world and the church, and shares the longing for the final freedom of both we and he groan together. To empathize is to feel what another feels. The Holy Spirit, we are told, empathizes with you and me. Empathizing is a popular word these days. It is hard work. It is costly work to enter the emotions of another, but it is surprisingly effective and empowering for the other to have someone empathize with them. Empathy empowers. The groaning spirit helps us by praying. How does he pray for us? He prays wisely according to the will of God. How does the spirit pray for us? Empathetically. He groans with us. Today is a day of Pentecost. Today is a day we remember that Jesus gave his spirit to the church. The lesson from John, Jesus promises the helper, the coming spirit. The lesson from Acts, that promise is fulfilled as the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, never to be poured back in. And the letter to the Romans, we, the letter to the Romans, pardon me, the passage we have considered describes how the Holy Spirit helps you and me. He helps us in our groaning by his intercessions, which are empathetic, expressed in groans, and wise according to God's will. So now we come to a conclusion. Let's imagine that you're having a really bad day. Let's imagine that you fell through your roof, ceiling. Let's imagine that you've encountered another loss, even more significant and more difficult to repair. You groan. And in your groans, you go to someone and ask them for their prayers. And because it is an especially bad day, you go to someone who is especially attuned to the things of God. You go to a pastor or someone who has had a long life of following Christ, someone who's attuned to the things of God. And what if you were to peek into that person's room? And what if you were to see them not only praying for you, but I mean really praying on their knees, praying in groans, interceding for you. How would that make you feel? Well, it'd be encouraging, it'd be comforting. We all know how easy it is to say, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then out the mind it goes. But in this passage, we're given a little peek into the spiritual realm, a little peek into heaven. And as we peek into heaven, as we pull back the curtain, what we see is that the Christian is never alone. That the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, is praying for you. He's praying for you with profound wisdom. He knows you. 
He knows God's will for you. He's praying with deep empathy. He is groaning with you. What an encouraging thought. So the next time you pray, I encourage you to remember that you're not alone in your prayers. The Holy Spirit is already praying for you. The next time you groan, remember that the Holy Spirit is growing with you and be comforted.